Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host Aaron Percival aka Corporal Hicks and joining me are the usual partners in crime on this podcast and co-hosts we have Adam Zeller aka Ridgetop. Hello again everyone. And also rounding out the trio that is the AVP Galaxy podcast crew is Eric Adams who also goes by the moniker of Xenomorphin. Greetings one and all. It's been a while since it's been us three. You've been doing some interviews lately, right? You know what? I'm not even sure. I mean, we had Xenomorphing, ING. Yeah, not to be confused with Eric on um, for the last episode. But one might e- easily confuse the two. Apart from one being, a, a, you know, a New Yorker and the other one being a near, near Londoner, I well, guess. you've never seen us in the same room at the same time. This is true. And before that, it was my buddy Chevy and Lee Byrne from Xenopedia. Also my buddy. I guess it wasn't too long. It was October. We did the Downer podcast. Yeah, it would have been about the start of October. Yeah. yeah. Still, you know, that's nearly two months, I guess. Yeah. It's because you guys just aren't interested in anything else. You know, Adam, you, you read like hey, a fucking snail. I have been busy with two art history classes and a math course, so there's plenty of reading for that. I don't have really, a lot of extra real time courses. this semester. Yes, they are very much real <sighs> courses. Art history, though. Pulling the Thor face right now. Okay, this is where I'm going to be an arts major and like just hold my head in my hands for people that are like, art art majors, you guys just draw pictures in class, right? That's not real studies. Uh, it's like... <laughs> How about you do it? How about you do it and get back to me? That's all right. We do more fun things. That's true. Yeah. Read an alien book and then you can join us. Okay. We've still got time for the prototype episode. That's probably going to be in the new yeah. year. I will be able to read that one. That one's on the list. I'll, I'll believe it when it <laughs> happens. <laughs> and Eric, I just never expect you to read any any of the uh, EU. A poor workman blames his tools and we are your tools. That's all I'm. He's putting it on you, Eric. You know what? I, I saw your comments about the start of Cold Forge. I was like, nah, I don't think I'd want Eric on for this anyway. It's, it's one of those ones where I'm just like, I cannot see eye to eye with you on this at all whatsoever. Well, I, that's the start of it. I need to restart it again, and then I will judge it as a whole fairly. It's kind of like isolation. There's some things Eric is just wrong. Wrong about, yeah. <laughs> I like the presentation of it. I'm playing Isolation through again at the minute. It's out on the Switch. I so, know. Uh, well is done. It out? I thought it wasn't <laughs> out till December. Oh, uh, I got a review copy. Oh, I see. Well, how? How? What's going to give us an early scoop? Uh, well, it won't be early by the time that now yeah, there's no true. embargo. Because I'm going to be live streaming my playthrough. I'm going to have to restart the playthrough again, but I'm just going to live stream it all, and then we'll do a proper let's play on the PC cool. or something later. How does it play? Are the graphics still pretty decent. Yeah, it's, it's quite. It, it still looks as good as it did on the PC. I think. I mean, it, it's not. Not quite it doesn't look quite as good on on the handheld version when you take it out the dock yeah. but that's sheer screen size and, and i don't have a switch but my thing. friends have, have showed it to me and yeah the graphics do get a boost when it's in docked mode you said you had one no i said i had access to one which uh, meant okay. i would have borrowed it for the review that i didn't know you were doing so i don't need to know but i probably will get a switch it's, it feels a little awkward playing it in handheld mode as well i don't know i'm just I've, it's the first it's the first first person game i've played on the switch so it's just not used to it, but when it's docked and on the controller, it's perfectly fine. It plays as fluid as uh, as any of the others. Yeah, the few that I have tried on the Switch, uh, Doom and Wolfenstein 2, they played okay. 
there was a bit of input lag and you could tell the graphics were downgraded and I was used to playing both those on PC, but Alien Isolation has always had great optimization across all of its releases, although I never played the last gen versions of them that came out on PS3 and 360. It'd be interesting to try those out. I think they were supposed to be a lot buggier anyway. Oh yeah. And we're already heavy on the tangents, aren't we? Yes, we can't even start the topic of the episode. We're, we're already slagging each other off, talking about some completely different thing. What, what we're talking about? What, what we're here for, guys? We are talking about Memory, the Origins of Alien, which is a kind of film essay, kind of documentary examination on, as the name would imply, the origins of the first Alien film, as well as its cultural impact. I saw the film initially in January of this year at the Sundance Film Festival, but I finally got to watch it again because Legion M picked it up, which is like a fan investment film production company. So they bought the film after uh, after Sundance and it just barely got its release on physical and digital media. Uh, I actually ordered straight from their website so I could get the cool little Giger art alien pin. Yeah, they've done some really good uh, purchase incentives for this. Some re- really mm-hmm, swanky definitely. looking extra bits and bobs. Especially, the, is it the egg pin that you um, get? No, I think that one was a little harder to get. I got the one that had the Necronomicon Xenomorph art ah, on it, right. as well as I, I think I got the, the Dan O'Bannon chestburster one. What did you have to do to get the egg pin? I think you had to like one of the host a, a viewing party yeah. or something. Yeah, which was it's interesting. I, th- I think they went pretty all out on support in this Legion M did. Yeah, I've actually been really interested in Legion M just as an investment opportunity because it's like something I could see myself passionate about. They uh, picked up Mandy, which is if you guys haven't seen Mandy, definitely check the only one. No, Mandy had uh, Nicolas Cage. It was, I don't know how you even describe that movie. It's like an action horror art house movie or something like that, but it was really cool. Nicolas Cage redeemed himself for, for some past work in that one. <laughs> well, it was Dog Wolf that handled distribution over here on home uh, media anyway. So I, I've got the I got the DVD. I don't think they've released it on Blu-ray in the UK. I think it's just the States that have, have a Blu-ray edition, thanks to Legion M. But we also got a limited a theatrical sort of release i don't know how big a release it was because i went to see it in one of those niche cinemas prince charles theater in london me and lee Byrne, who the fuck from xenopedia caught it when it came out which was also funnily enough where i saw the alien 4k restoration as well same screen and that was nice and it's also available for renting i believe because i think that's how you watched it xenomorphin is that right yeah on amazon prime Okay, so yeah, different, plenty of different outlets to watch it at. But I guess the the big question first of all is, you know, when when this came out, when this news came out, my immediate reaction was, what on earth could this possibly give me that Charles De Rica hasn't already, or the other various bits and bobs? Because you know, Alien is a very well documented film. So the question was, what what's memory going to offer me different? So. <laughs> Let's pass it off on to you, Eric. Do you believe the origin offered you something different to, you know, the multitude of, of other documentaries out there? I think I'd have to break it up into, did it offer me new information? I would say no. Something like the Strange Shapes blog did. It basically covers the same stuff, except you probably get more information or something like that. Did it present it in a different way? I think it 
definitely succeeded on giving, um, you could say, maybe a long overdue, more of an insight on Dan O'Bannon specifically. There's more of an insight in, say, Francis Bacon's art and how that came into the concept of Alien. But I wouldn't say it's anything I hadn't seen before, except for the strange, um, the Greek Furies dramatization at the start, which... I will say was done very well. I loved how it was filmed, but once I'd finished watching it, because that was the part everybody talks about, once I'd finished watching it, I did kind of think, was it worth putting in? Because it felt very off-tangent. But yeah, taken as a whole, if you want a documentary which focuses more on O'Bannon, the story-making stuff in general, go for this. But it's not anything which you wouldn't get just looking at the existing documentaries on the Blu-rays and DVDs. Okay. Now, I think I think Ridgetop, you mentioned that the Francis Bacon stuff was new to you when you saw it. And I'm pretty sure it was new to me as well. Although they do use some of the, um, the alien documentary footage from before that talks about Giger being inspired by... Francis Bacon, right? Yeah. There, there, there's certainly archival footage in there, but that's that's one of those things that's actually not, didn't seem to stick in my memory before. Likewise, yeah. It didn't connect with me until they kind of explored it a bit more in this one. So the, this documentary goes big on that sort of influential aspect to to Giga and Scott, because I, th- I think it was Scott that showed him the... Um, yes showed him the artwork but for me i think memory as a title and as a premise was something that i didn't know about you know in in the documentary in in cdl's documentary they talk about having you know how o'bannon had a 30 page sort of opening already written but it it didn't mention memory as a name it didn't uh, mention now this is where i might actually get mixed up with the recent rins the making of book because it shows up in there Um, but the idea was so i can't remember if this was in the documentary or if i'm pulling it from the book but the idea was that there was something on the planet messing with the astronaut's memory hence yeah. the title memory was was that in the documentary but this one yeah that's yeah that the, the premise memory, was yeah. mentioned yeah. yeah i think it mentioned that he'd written up to the part where they were going to look into what on the planet was causing the memory loss but they didn't get further than that i don't know if O'Bannon already had an idea for it, but they mentioned it was written up to that point, and then they said that when they came to do the script for Alien, they figured, well, it's pretty much already written there that if you watch the ultimate film, that basically the memory script right there. Honestly, I feel like memory is kind of a surprising title for this because it goes into the the star beast phase of the inception a bit more. Like, I mean, it, it gives you the idea of memory that they landed on this planet and he only had about 30 pages and they lose their memory somehow, but it didn't seem like it really went into it much more. No, than no. That. And it was it was really cool to actually see some of the excerpts from that script as well because there was different character names from even the star beast or the formerly known as star beast script that's out there. So that that was all quite new because I'd never heard of the title. Apparently, it was a thing. I mean, when the documentary came out, I was like, when the news of it came out, I was saying how I'd never heard of memory. And Johnny, who runs Strange Shapes, was saying, you know, we've known it. And Syl was saying that we've known it. And I had a quick flick on, on Strange Shapes, actually, just earlier to check out his writing alien page just to see if it was mentioned there. And no, it was, it was the same sort of comments that you get in, in CDL's documentary in The Beast Within, where he's just talking about already having that 30 page opening so that that was that was new to me but yeah in terms of content you know it's 
it's not a great deal of it and it felt like i don't know if you guys felt like this but it felt like three sort of mini documentaries all rolled together into one because memory is is about far more than just you know the origins of alien you know that that angle of it is is to me i think the most interesting stuff with you know we're learning about memory we're learning about o'bannon learning about giga as as individuals but then you also had the uh, the mythological aspect of it with the furies and this whole um, collective subconscious thing and then you also had the focus on the chestburster sequence so it felt like three mini documentaries rolled together into one and then just sort of loosely connected to each other yeah it kind of had different phases and i was really glad that o'bannon got the the spotlight so you had the focus on o'bannon and then the uh the focus on the chestburster sequence which was initially the whole idea behind this documentary, I think, because that was Alexander Philippe's previous work was focusing on a single scene in Psycho. And what was that one called? Where's where's my IMDb here? 7852. Yeah, so that just focused on Hitchcock's shower scene in Psycho. And uh, the first work I had seen of him was The People versus George Lucas, which is also a really good documentary about the tension of the fans of Star Wars and uh, George Lucas changing his work and not releasing the original cuts of that. So that was really good work. But again, back to memory and what it consists of, it focuses on O'Bannon, but it's also very much a film essay where they have a lot of these different interviewees in that are talking about analysis of the film and symbolic interpretations, cultural connections that people may have had with that film, and that the film was just the right film at the right time, as well as um, it was interesting. They mentioned some other films that were kind of ahead of their time, like John Carpenter's The Thing. Like The Thing had bad reviews when it first came out and audiences just rejected it. And that movie went on to be uh, well regarded as one of the best sci-fi horror films of all time. So it, it was weird that a film like Alien succeeded during that time when when a film like The Thing did not. So yeah, it was it was an interesting dive, I guess, more so than than we were expecting as as opposed to just like, oh, what are they going to show us that they haven't shown us before in terms of how this movie was made. But I think there was a lot more like why this movie was made and who this movie was made by and what were their influences. And there were a lot of influences that it that the film talked about, like Planet of the Vampires and Queen of Blood that I had never heard of before. And seeing those connections were really interesting how close they were. One of the things that has actually been talked about in my photo history class a little bit is that it's easy to get cynical. Like some people say like all stories have have been told, everything's been done before. And maybe to some extent that could be true, but it's all about doing something new with what's come before. Everyone's inspired by something else, but putting that grain of sand on top of the pile of of the things that came before, I think is what what can make things different and interesting. It's like that quote isn't it that they they say from dan you know i didn't steal from anyone i stole from everyone there's a lot of it as to how he took all these different elements and made you know made alien made something that would end up having such lasting cultural impact compared to the things that inspired it. Yeah. And I think this piece honestly just cemented the perfect storm that Alien was between creative collaborators that really meshed well together. And like like it says in, in memory, if you didn't have Ridley Scott, you didn't have O'Bannon, you didn't have Giger, you didn't have any of those guys. And even some of the other concept artists like Ron Cobb or um, Chris Foss, all those creative pieces that were honed before with 
things even like Yodorovsky's Dune that never happened. That was like a stepping stone to Alien. And without the failure of Yodorovsky's Dune, you wouldn't have had Alien. Like those artists wouldn't have grown to the extent that they did, that they were ready to do Alien at that point. That's even more than just those guys as well, isn't it? I mean, you get Roger Christensen. Christensen, is that? Yeah. Show up in, in the documentary. Now, he was um, the set decorator and, you know, he came off Star Wars and without him, he might not necessarily have had that sort of grimy look that you, you know, people tend to give to this working class future from the Nostromo. And it was nice to have him involved in the uh, in the documentary as well. He's not one that seems to show up a lot. But yeah, I mean, Alien is... You know, you're right. It is the perfect storm of, of collaborators at the top. Yeah, we certainly talk about O'Bannon and Giga and Scott, but yeah, the, the, there is way more to it uh, than those guys. But Scott is normally the one that gets given the limelight. And the thing I loved the most about this documentary was just how much focus we got on Dan and we got on Giga. Hearing from Diane O'Bannon, you know, Dan's Dan's widow and Carmen. Yeah, Carbon was in there a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. This Giga's most recent partner i think is that right yeah she's his, his widow yeah that that was really interesting and and to me memory was at its strongest for those first 42 minutes when you know it's talking about what it says in the title you know it's talking about the origin of, of alien so to get things like details about o'bannon's early childhood you know, that's the kind of stuff I expect from from Johnny from Strange Shapes, and um, it goes a bit into it in in Rinsler's book as well. You know, there's the talks a lot about who these people were before they got to the point where they were working on Alien that I really appreciate, and I really like that kind of stuff. And it's something I really dug in memory, and to hear from people who were so close to them as well, in absence of their actual voices, was fascinating. I loved it. I, I loved those first forty minutes when it was doing what it said on the tin. And Alien wasn't just a jolt for cinema. It was a jolt for all these people's careers, really. I mean, like they were saying O'Bannon was couch surfing and Giger was this obscure artist in Switzerland, but he went on to to win an Oscar and Ridley Scott became um, a prominent Hollywood director after that when he had only really done The Duelist before. So yeah, this, this was a significant film in film history and the stars just aligned for it. And I think that's, again, that's partially what this is about, but it also goes into the, the mythological exploration and inspiration before we start talking about the mythological portion of the thing eric hasn't spoken about you know how he felt about those those first 40 minutes where it was talking about the origins and stuff and there's still bits we're missing from that we know we haven't talked about the motion comic out portion of the thing which i thought was really um was a really nice touch yes in, in the in the film so uh, eric do you know what how, how did you feel about the origin portion of origin as I said, I don't think I necessarily learned a whole mass of information, and but then you wouldn't really expect to with a documentary about a film which is this old and this well documented already. But I did, for me personally, what I appreciated most of all was the you did get this new spotlight on the context of how it came about. You might have... I was surprised, Ridgetop, when you said you'd never heard of Planet of the Vampires before, when it is often mentioned as, you know, that's the um, inspiration for the space jockey reveal sort of thing, because you have that giant skeleton. But you did see... You actually saw that as it was presented in the original film, and you saw the direct comparison, and it did give you that understanding of, yeah, you could see how the people responsible for Alien had that as the, the sort of seeds which germinated within 
them, so to speak, but you, you got a much more visceral appreciation for it. And again, you might have heard of the comics, which Dan grew up with. And um, I, I like the, um, I think what his um, wife was saying about he, you know, his his parents were sort of beating him up over about oh you don't want that science fiction it's never going to take you anymore. But you saw the actual panels of these comic strips and you you got this understanding of yeah I can understand how someone who at that time that was like state of the art popular media for them how that would have made them think I want to do this but I want to make it better bigger and you had stuff you might have learned about before like the the um the Coleman thing where he would have said before about well if you can't get it made by these guys I think you should get it done for a bigger budget than I can give you but come back to me but I think the way this documentary laid it out it gave you a much better understanding for how someone like a O'Bannon, Ron Chusette, they would have been confronted by an offer like that and they would have had these seeds in their brain of this is what we grew up with, this is what we want to do and we've got this like Dragon's Den type of offer but we want to try and get this done properly because you, you see this quote by Dan again in the in the thing where you've probably seen it before where he says Dark Star was the original thing and it was like the comedy but I wanted to make the horror version of Dark Star. But seeing these things set in their proper context, I think it does give you the appreciation for how and why. And especially like you were mentioning about the Dune project, that going through, you do get this sense of that even if you realised it was a collaborative effort, and it, we've often said that very much in this podcast, that it was very much that perfect storm of the ideal talents coming together at the right moment. But you do get that feeling of, yeah, Dune would have been this sort of proto-alien in a way we that many people don't realise it could have been. And then you see a lot of what was made for that project and how O'Bannon had met Giger, I think, through that project. And they talked more about Lovecraft and all the rest of it. But I think things like that, when they touched on things like Giger and O'Bannon with these big Lovecraft fans, and there were points where, like that, I don't think it delved into deeply enough. And I think I would have been more interested by things like that, which are usually just touched on in other documentaries or mentioned in passing, rather than the later sections, which were this big thing about the chest. And I realise that's the guy behind this one. That was originally his main intent. He wanted to just focus on the chest burster. But I think all this other stuff, especially the recollections of um, O'Bannon's wife, they made it a lot more grounded in what became Alien and the other projects he could have been involved in than you would otherwise have got. And I, as I say, I would have appreciated more of that than what we ultimately got about the chest burster. Um, I was surprised, for instance, we hardly got anything about Lambert's death scene, which obviously it was more to do with editing, but I think I've always said that was the more disturbing death than Kane's chest burster. That would have been interesting to see whether there would have been anything that Dan O'Bannon and the rest of them would have, what they came up with for that, because that's always been a big thing in the Alien fandom about, it turns out Veronica Cartwright 
Cartwright, she recollected that originally her character was just going to be stuffed in this airlocker or something. But you get nothing to do with that. And that is probably the most disturbing thing in Alien between that and the facehugger. But um, yeah, I think the, the, the first section where it's talking about the concepts that went into the actual story crafting part of it, uh, that was definitely the highlight of it for me. The later sections, agree. not so much. But the mythology stuff we're going to start talking about, I, I did think they were a bit out of left field. I, I'm not sure that yeah, gelled as much for me. I, I got to agree with you. I think the strength for this really was the focus on O'Bannon. And although there's there's a number of Giger documentaries out there, I would have liked to have seen a bit more focus on Giger and conversations with Carmen. And uh, the mythological elements seemed pretty, pretty minor for me. So I kind of wish that was explored a bit more. I think as much as I love this um, this documentary, and I'd still recommend anyone who's interested in the franchise to watch it, I don't think everyone will will find it to be their cup of tea because it does kind of, I guess, it goes on some, to kind of put it bluntly, I guess, film school academic tangents, you know, people saying, oh, this film means this, this film means this, when you have to wonder if the creators of the film really intended those meanings or if they're just being kind of... Oh, they never do. They never do. <laughs> yeah, it was very much reading between the lines and you thought, it's their interpretation but was that really what's going on who knows that that's interesting in its own right to be honest i mean even even if i preferred all the origin stuff and I, and like like you were saying eric it would have been nice for him to dive a little more deeply into those inspirations while i would have preferred that i do i did still find you know the interpretations thing interesting like the the one who <sighs> The the is it the Wolf podcast host or something like that one of one of the women uh, that they interviewed you know went into had this nice little tangent about it being a, a guilt thing uh, the the male rape aspect of the film being a guilt thing for the way women were treated in in Hollywood at the time. You know, like the xenomorph was a, a feminine retribution. I think what she yeah. said. Yeah, I mean we, we we know that the the male rape thing was a, a deliberate thing to unnerve people. You know, we know that as a yeah. fact. It being a subconscious apology for the way Hollywood was treating women. I'm not sure. No, I doubt we, know, it. we know it wasn't. But, yeah. It, it was them it was... trying to subvert expectations just to surprise the audience more. It wasn't a whole multi-layered context thing. But the that interpretation, I guess, is still interesting nonetheless. But does it really have a place in, in the documentary? Don't really think so. And, and I think a lot of the, the tangents like that, as interesting as they were, and as much as I enjoyed hearing people's interpretations of stuff like that, I'm not sure I really wanted it in here. It makes it makes memory kind of a windy road, going from different place to different place in terms yeah. of what it's showing the audience. Feels less cohesive as, as an entire package, I think, for me, anyway. Because like I said, it felt like three mini bits stuck together. But in terms of the Fury stuff then, because I think this was something you quite liked, wasn't it, uh, Adam? Yeah, I mean, the, the documentary opens with a dramatic scene that's actually on a Nostromo-looking set with these creepy old hag witches with sharp teeth and black eyes spewing ancient Greek profanities at you. <laughs> so... <laughs> They use that throughout throughout this documentary. I mean, any footage they're they're using in terms of a fair use, in terms of commentary on like the Lazarica documentary, or even footage of uh, Dan O'Bannon growing up, it's it's all done on these spaceship screens. Or I think they use some of Ridley Scott's interviews as well, since he wasn't directly involved with this. But you see them on the spaceship screens, and that that was a good kind of visual thing to differentiate it from the footage that they themselves uh, gathered. From Very memory. thematic as well to it, I thought. But yeah, I mean, as far as 
the the Greek mythology aspect, I mean, those connections are there, and even with Prometheus as well. So the elements of Greek mythology are interesting, but I don't know, like if Alien was really it didn't feel too heavily inspired by Greek mythology. And it kind of presses beyond that, like the inspirations, the sci-fi inspirations that were there from Alien, those pulled from ancient Greek myths. And I'm just not well versed enough, I guess, in those Greek myths to really see those connections as as well as Philippe apparently saw them. Well, there was an interesting sort of side, an, an aside when it was talking about Giga and about the ancient Egyptian connections. Right. And those ones I definitely do see more so than the Greek, to be honest with the temples uh-huh. the note stuff as well with the the artwork of that awesome uh, hieroglyphic reliefs that we never get to see in the film yeah. that, that was quite right. obvious and it's interesting seeing that visual imagery from the early conceptual designs of alien where the the derelict was a temple and it was a stone temple as well which we kind of got those looks more in the prequels eventually i think that's the first time we've ever really seen that artwork in in any of the documentaries now because i don't think the beast within went into it if you just give me a second to bring up the album on my old hard drive here i can tell you who did them because they are out there somewhere right yeah so that was that was artwork by a chap called elliot scott and it's this draft of alien where it's a they call it the red city and it's something that was in Rinsler's book that I was really, I really enjoyed because it's not something that ever I've ever really seen been talked about in any of the official stuff, other than um, other than what I've sort of seen online as people mention this stuff, and it goes into more detail about it in in Rinsler's making of and it how it, it was like a pitch pitch artwork that was done with Skyler or Hills, I can't remember right now. Uh, first pass on O'Bannon script, so that was really cool to see there up on on the screen. Yeah, as well as the connections I think it made. And this one I kind of could see going from the Greek Furies to the pieces at the base of the crucifixion, if that's the right piece name for Francis Bacon's weird, surreal piece with those monsters on the chairs that apparently were somewhat of the inspiration for the chestburster for for H.R. Giger. And uh, even Ridley Scott, I think, said he wanted them to kind of pull from that this you know focus on this gasping mouth and um so i could i could see that from from francis bacon the inspiration there for for the chestburster and i guess with the interesting conversation on mythology another thing it touched upon was not just inspiration but myths that just come about on their own and resonate with culture for the time and and that's what this goes into as well as some of the anxiety of of the period post-war vietnam and uh, a lot of the films being made focusing on the plight of the blue collar worker being exploited by the corporation. Uh, I definitely found those aspects and those conversations to be really interesting, especially where they talk about how Brett and Parker are essentially represent the, the blue collar working class in this film. And they're the ones who are right as as Brett says, in saying, hey, just freeze him, you know, that'll solve the problem. But they're just disregarded and and not listened to because they're not high enough in the, the class structure. So I definitely enjoyed some of the, the looks of, of that aspect. What do you guys think? Just touching back on the um, Francis Bacon thing, that does have more of a connection with the Furies because they do speak about Bacon saying he was being asked and he said, oh, yes, the Furies visit me nightly sort of thing. But the where the film falls out is trying to connect it to Alien itself. I think it's got more of a ground for saying Greek mythology and these various other things strongly influenced the things which influenced Alien. Right. 
the moment you try and work on, well, what influenced Alien, you really, you touched on the things that were thrown away like that beautiful. It's my one piece of concept art from Alien that I love above all others, and it's nothing to do with the actual film, where it's that Ron Cobb piece in this ancient tomb, and you have this sort of stone plinth that's raised above others with these little stone eggs, and you have these hieroglyphics in Aztec or Mayan style across the wall. That kind of stuff is very much steeped in that Lovecraftian things. But where it comes, yeah, in terms of what we ultimately saw on screen, yeah, yeah there's a lot of reading between the lines. Like there's this one person, I've, I forget which one of them, but they mention, like, as you say, Bretton Parker, and they represent the working class, and they say, oh, look, um, Dallas, he's, he's, um, he's, there's this barrier of Parker and Brett between him and Ripley, and he doesn't have to listen to the woman sort of thing. And I was sitting there, I think, at the end of the day, it's just him, like, relaxing on a table and he just can't be asked to do anything. He's just yeah. come back with a crew member that's been infected. He's just exhausted and he's not necessarily a commentary on the working yeah. class. And, and that, that, that kind of goes to what we were talking about, how like sometimes the film academics can see more than is intentionally there. Yeah. But we, we, we know the working class thing was something that was taken into consideration when, when, when Scott was making Alien though. So that didn't feel so left field to me. Yeah, but was was it to the extent that some right. of the academics in here tried to paint? That's, that's my... It, it's definitely there. There's a corporate working class capitalism thing going on, yeah. but it's more like when things get abused, they're going... Even the ship itself, it's sort of old and it's gone. It's an old, more of an oil rig than a spaceship. I think that's what you meant specifically, Eric, was just that specific examination of Dallas moving over to the other side yeah, of the room yeah. to establish a hierarchy or something like that. I'm like, yeah, that's maybe reading a bit into things much. But yes, th definitely um, the whole plight of the working class was a theme that was very much intentional for Alien and throughout the entire Alien franchise, honestly. Uh, corporate exploitation and the plight of the working class is very yeah. much a problem. Well, it's, it's about everyone. If, if you have hu human resources, humans don't become regarded as people. They become regarded as assets and assets are disposable, which comes down to the, you know, that central special order... 397 or whatever it is where it says um, crew expendable and that is the whole thing and at the end of the day even Ash is disposable. What happens to him he gets decapitated and set light but he's still disposable and, but he's still smiling. It's 937 by the way. <laughs> That's it. 937. I just, no, those three numbers were fitting in there somewhere. <laughs> Which I think then goes to 938 in blackout. No, 938 in isolation and then 939 in blackout. I think they go that sequentially. Apparently stuff doesn't happen in between. Wow. Mm -hmm. Special Order 66. You don't want to be on the, uh, the expendable ones. side of those special orders. Has, every, has everybody spoke about the mythology aspect? I don't think you really have, Aaron. Like... Do you feel that, I don't know, again, it's, it's, this movie's very, it feels like it doesn't draw definitive, oh, Alien came from this and this is where it was inspired from. It's, it's kind of more fluid than that. It's like these, these myths inspired this artist who was inspired by a bunch of these other things and he was a, a piece of Alien and Alien came on to become its own myth. Yeah. Like, so it's, yeah. it's more complex than just Greek mythology inspired Alien, I think. The only thing you can really say is it, Lovecraft was way more of an influence than Greek. And yeah. I, mean, I mean, Lovecraft himself was influenced by this, that, and the other, but out of anything, it would have been Lovecraft. Yeah. I will say, before we go on, regardless of how how much of a sort of a 
out of left turn sort of thing it felt in terms of subject matter. I did love the way those three old women, the Furies, were shot even down to this like wrinkled eye opening up. It looked just like an alien egg. I loved the way it was visually shot. Yeah. And her performance reading those lines about, um, I forget what, that blood is smiling back at me, but this glee that she reads into the line, it was beautiful. I think you you said it best earlier, Eric, in terms of how I feel about this. You know, it's, you know, Francis Bacon is shown to have influenced the chestburster design because Scott gave Giga the artwork and, you know, it then formed the whole mouth just showing up thing. And, And Bacon commented on how the Furies had visited him. It just felt like a little bit of a stretch to connect them all together. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with, with either of you, really. It, it was an interesting tangent, but it was screen time I would have rather have been devoted to perhaps looking more, more closely at some of, of Lovecraft's stuff or some of the other random older films or maybe even O'Bannon's earlier script because I, I, I think he wrote something called They Bite. Yes, it was yep. about yeah, um, they talk based about on cicadas which come out. They they go to hibernation for so many dozens of years, and he changed it into millions of years. And it was um, you could see it was the sort of concept basis for the eggs on the some dinner. nasty ancient insect. Yeah. So just yeah, just just more yeah, because they, they talked. I liked I liked the whole thing about you know the insects and him being from the Midwest and the cicada invasion and stuff like that. I would have just preferred more screen time about that kind of thing and, and yeah. more about. About them becoming the people that they had to be to make alien you know more about crohn's disease you know it, it doesn't it, it talks about him about o'bannon having crohn's disease and it giving him pain but it doesn't really talk about the disease itself so i don't know i would i would have just been more interested in that part of the the film and that journey that portion of aliens journey to being made so the mythology stuff while it was interesting not my favorite part of the documentary yeah yeah it's, it's, i don't know i i have the same feeling when I finished watching the movie at Sundance, I was like, it's over already? Like, it felt kind of quick. And maybe that's just me as a fan who's used to, like, the four-hour-long Lazarica documentaries, you know. But it did feel like every section just could have used a bit more exploration for me personally. So what about the focus then on the chestburster sequence? Like Eric said earlier, you know, it's not the most disturbing sequence in the film, but I feel that it is perhaps relevant to the origin of the film and that if it wasn't for that sequence, then this film probably yeah. would have never been picked up. So, you know, there there is there is relevance there in it being an origin aspect of it. But again, this is such a well-documented sequence yeah. in the film that what, what was the point that, perhaps? That sequence was definitely the most like significant to the the history of cinema right but more so than any other part of this documentary i felt that the focus on the chestburster sequence while it was a good revisitation of everything that went into that that more than any other part of the, that document than memory felt like we had already seen this which as fans you know we have but maybe for for general audiences that it was good to go back and visit how significant that scene was. But that to me was the least, I guess, um, intriguing aspect of memory, just because it was the thing that we had all kind of seen before, you know? Yeah, I think it's that's the problem with something where that is always the thing that's hyped about Alien. It is the chestburster scene. And when there's so many others that you you just get that been there, done that feeling. And while, you know, part of me wants to say, well, who cares? We're the diehard fans. 
there's other people that have come along that they won't know about it who is this a documentary like this going to be aimed at who are the people who are 90 percent of yeah that 90 percent of people who are going to buy it watch it they are going to be the hardcore fans who have seen the other documentaries i i think it's definitely has its place because as you say if it wasn't for that we know again from the other documentaries it, it would have been tossed on the out pile instead of the in pile but in terms of you, you see so much footage about it and, the, you know, the puppet and all the rest of it that you kind of go, OK, on to the next sequence. It might have been better to have that sort of like the background to it, but you don't need to focus on it because unless you have got new footage, a new interview, something that contributes something new in a meaningful way, unless you're just going to spend like five minutes on it, which... Obviously, the guy's focus on it was going to be this, but if unless you're just going to spend the obligatory, because you can't do an alien documentary without something to do with the chestburst sequence, but unless you're going to just spend like, you know, this was it, that was it, and we're going to go on to the next thing, and you spend like two, three minutes of it because we've seen so much of it, it's like doing a documentary about how Star Wars came to be, and you spend like half an hour just looking at pictures of an X-Wing fighter. You've seen an X-Wing, you know what it does, You've seen it from every angle. I want to learn something new. And because it's a documentary, you want to learn something new. There's nothing really to learn anymore about the chest burst or, or the sequence or Veronica catching blood in her eye and falling over, which is funny, but it's, again, there, there's nothing new to gain. We've heard it plenty of times, haven't we? Yeah. I, it, it was, though, I will say, I thought it was interesting to see some of the pictures of Roger Dickens' puppets because those aren't ones that I think tend to get seen a lot. And while it doesn't really talk about Roger's involvement in, in the design, at least not that I remember, you know, it, it was interesting to see those Polaroids of the, the sort of dinosaur looking ones and the turkey looking ones because I don't think those are very commonly seen at all. No, I think the turkey burster is seen on like but it's more in books and stuff they never really go into why it wasn't chosen or much about it. it's just always you know this is a thing and it wasn't and this was what we came up with and there i would have been interested to see more about the turkey but like what the inspirations were for it and all the rest of it but i did find value in the francis bacon stuff in terms of you don't usually get a, a focus on that was what the chest burst, that was Scott handing that to Giga and saying that, I want the mouth done like that. And you don't usually get the interviews with Bacon where he talks about, you know, his own background. And as you said, what forged these people into the human beings they were that gave the influences which carried it forth? You don't normally get... So I appreciated more about the Francis Bacon stuff and I would have liked some background on because the turkey you always see it as a painting and that's it you never get any design analysis on it it's just like this was what it could have been but that's um, why i like seeing the actual puppets in this you know so that, mm. that that was a brief little i mean they, they were only brief flickers of it but it was a yeah cool it's nice to actually see a bit more of that rather than you know giga's painting so yeah any other thoughts on on the documentary Again, touching on the mythology, the um, I get the explorations of, of the mythological uh, influences as well as Alien becoming its own myth. But as far as the Greek Furies themselves specifically, it talks about them as like, I guess, deities of vengeance in Greek mythology against atrocities committed 
towards yeah. So that connection, I had a harder time seeing. Well, no, like, if I you mean, think about it in terms of the later prequels, though, it's actually quite interesting because you know that that's David's anger against his creators and yeah, and then how we're treated by our our creators and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's it's tangent kind of thing, and it might not necessarily fit into this one, but it's one of those sort of random little things that's I'm kind of thankful that perhaps you've 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 shone a light on there that I might not have thought about before, but how relevant. It is to the moment at hand. Eh. Yeah, but I'm I'm with you, Eric. I definitely think the uh, the Lovecraftian influences, which this also goes over as well, are much more direct in terms of Lovecraft's focus on the unknown and on the distant past. But speaking of the prequels, this actually touches upon them a little bit. It it says there's a section, small section, where it's like, well, Scott has come back to his his alien universe, and he's really exploring these themes of mortality and creation and spirituality. Which honestly, the first time I remember really. Got exploring those themes was in the film Kingdom of Heaven. If you guys have seen that one, oh, wouldn't Blade Runner come into it as well, though? That's true. In much the yeah. same way that Prometheus revisits. You're right. You know, Blade Runner is very much um, creator creation, uh, you know, wanting more life kind of thing. So Ridley Scott has very much returned to these same themes in, in sci-fi. But it's interesting how they compare the chestburster sequences in the original Alien and this one. And they were like, well, this one, the one in Covenant, felt much more tropey. With it was in the dark with the smoke and you have the mischievous David looking down on the victim. But the interviewee was like, well, it's also kind of delightful if you just give in to it. <laughs> so um, it was an interesting kind of <laughs> juxtaposition, I guess, with the original chest-bursting sequence. I got some delight out of that yeah, for sure. You but... tried to egg him on in the interview as well. I did, yes. yeah. <laughs> Guilty as charged. So if, you haven't, if, you, if you're listening and you haven't already listened or read, back in January, February time, when this premiered at Sundance, Rich Top actually got to interview Alexandra Philippe about about the documentary. So, uh, what what did you ask him? How were you trying to egg him, on, egg him on in terms of the prequel? So, I I kind of brought it back to the first movie of his that I had seen, which was The People versus George Lucas, and I was like, well, how do you feel about where Scott has been taking the franchise now in terms of this, you know, mixed reception that it's been receiving among fans? Do you see a, a comparison there with? kind of the Star Wars prequels. And he was like, well, I don't think there's there's really a total comparison. It's his prerogative to to do what he wants to do. And he was more focused on George Lucas changing his cuts over time and not allowing people access to those cuts, which credit to Scott, like like he mentions, Blade Runner comes out and you you can watch any cut you want. You know, there's five different cuts. Same with Alien. We have uh, the director's cut of that, which again, not really a director's Marketing cut. Um, yeah, so definitely Scott. And again, I love Ridley Scott, you know. So regardless of how I feel about the direction the prequels have taken, I think that's a, a complicated matter. But memory's absolutely right when it puts Scott up there with Stanley Kubrick in terms of a visual stylist and a world builder. You know, Scott is incredible. I definitely think, and it's the same with George Lucas, right? George Lucas can create incredible worlds. He's not a storyteller. I stand by that with Scott as well. He's not a storyteller. And the more direct control he has in those stories, I think those stories kind of Well, that's fall what flat. we learned in this as well. You know, Dan was the storyteller. 
Right, exactly. And you know what? It was actually a shame that we didn't. You know, yes, we've been talking about how much how it was nice to have so much focus on on Dan and Giga, but you know, Dan wasn't the only writer involved in this. There was a whole conflict with the producers, with Walter Hill and David Geiler, um, who were really absent from this in terms of that sort of origins aspect of it, which I suppose is probably to do with Diane's involvement as um as a producer of this. I would suspect so. Yes. Yeah, she, she's hardly a fan of them either. But you know that that is a that is an aspect. Of, of the film's perfect storm that, that is absent from this documentary. Yeah, one thing that it did touch upon, though, that I had not realized the full extent of was the studio's lack of faith in Giger. They didn't even want to pay him the $1,000 for the initial concept sketches, and that had to come out of O'Bannon's pocket. See, I didn't, I didn't know that's why it said O'Bannon's alien on Giger's early alien concepts was that he was the one that paid for it. And so... It was like, wow. And even after O'Bannon advocating for him, Fox took him off the project until O'Bannon showed his work to Ridley Scott and Ridley Scott insisted upon it, which Fox finally gave in. And of course, it makes me think, you know, "Ah, those suits, man, they're always just making the worst creative decisions and thinking they know best. It's like Alien says, you know, the the corporate higher ups, the not exactly yep. the best people, are they? I'm glad this got, you know, without any tension from Fox, because I think they it seemed like they were a little worried about if they were going to have any problems with Fox releasing this. But I'm glad this got the release, the wide release that it has. And it's it's a great piece on the 40th anniversary of, of Alien. It's a great examination of the film. I think in my review back when I saw it in January, I gave it 8 out of 10 stars. And I'd probably say it's remained about that for me. I think it just could have gone a little deeper in some aspects and it kind of meandered a little bit, but it was still great. Still definitely recommend it. What do you guys think as far as a score? What would you give it? As I say, I think in terms of if you're looking to find information which isn't already out there, it's not necessarily going to be your first choice. If you want an overview in a context which isn't usually given the spotlight it deserves, because let's be honest, when you see interviews and articles about films, it's usually about the um, you know the director or the stars. Alien really comes down to, at its core, the writing that was behind it. And admittedly, some of that was not down to Dan O'Bannon. It was in the you know the the Hill and Giller stuff that came, it was back and to and fro. But I think if you do want an an interesting new style of overview, yeah, give it a chance, definitely. If you want an interesting visual on a spaceship, look for the Furies stuff. But there is a lot of reading between the lines in terms of interpretation, which doesn't necessarily invalidate that interpretation. But I do think it should have been qualified with, you know, more of these are these individual people's views. It's not necessarily what, what the objective was at the time of those who made it. But yes, I, I would recommend it as an interesting piece of cinema history, because I do think it gives certain elements of Alien the the focus it deserves. But as I said earlier, also, I think there are points where it does meander and certain things like the chest burst and stuff where you have, if you've seen an Alien documentary before, you, you'll know what it is already. Yeah, it was worth seeing, I think, especially for renting on Amazon Prime. It's there. Give it a look. Is it, is it not a buy for you, though? Are you not picking up the um, DVD? No, I... I as I say, it's it's stuff I'm already aware of. So I think once I've I've seen it, I don't need I don't feel a burning need that I'll have rewatchability factor. But um, yeah, I'm I'm glad I did watch through it because there are some highlights in it which I thought, yes, I've been waiting to see that in a documentary. 
But I'm I'm glad I brought my copy, I must be honest. I do feel like the strength is in those first 40 minutes, though, like I said. You know, it is in, in tracking the actual origins, like the title says it is. But I, I'd probably just as happily sit and watch the rest of it. So I don't think it was a waste. It's, it's important to remember, though, that, you know, memory is not trying to do The Beast Within. Felipe is not being um, Charles here. You know, he has a different objective. Does he succeed in his objective? I don't know, because I don't really know what he's trying to do with the documentary because of the three different mini, the way I think it feels like three different mini things. But it was still interesting nonetheless. You know, the the interpretations, yeah, certainly they are certainly interesting as well. They, they're certainly not probably what was intended at the time, but you, you want to give me some food for thought? I, I appreciate it. You know, that whole thing with the, the Furies and the connections to David later on in, in the series, I think is interesting. Not intended, but an interesting parallel. And I do like being presented different ways of thinking about the film. How about a, how about a score? What would you guys? I don't know. Do? I think probably a seven because as much as I enjoyed, as much as I did enjoy it, I do think it, it's like Eric says it meanders. It doesn't. It doesn't have a cohesive feel as a full documentary for me. And what I wanted more, of, if it had given me loads more of the origins, like I've been saying, I, I'd, I'd have loved it far more than I actually have. I'll, I will revisit it from time to time. Likewise. Certainly it's well. very unique in, in its exploration of Alien, and I think that's its greatest strength, even though, like you said, Aaron, it doesn't have a clear kind of, like, what is this going for? Maybe that's also a strength, like the whole aspect of just, this is an exploration that doesn't really have a thesis, it's just checking us out and asking questions, so looking for possible connections. Yeah, I think my score, if I had to give it a score, and I'm hesitant to do so, my problem is that because it reuses a lot of footage literally from other documentaries, and it does, like as you say, it feels like kind of three distinct things instead of having a central spinal column of this is what it's about. My score was sort of, you know, get discolored because I have, it does take from other things and it's, it doesn't feel like it's, it's about this. It's about like an overview of the thing in general. So I don't want to give it a score because I'd, I'd probably say, well, it's like five out of 10, but only because blah, blah, blah. I think for someone who hasn't maybe seen as a documentary, I think it is interesting. But in terms of as something I'm looking for as a fan, that's when it goes down. That's always the thing you have to keep in mind. We're reviewing this as hardcore fans of the franchise. And that's, you know, we're not professional critics. And so who knows if we're the intended audience for this. I think we are. (laughs) Critically, anyway, I think think the documentary actually went over quite well. It did. It went over really well at Sundance. I remember seeing the uh, initial reviews online about it. It's not a bad documentary by any standards it's just like we were saying you know there's different aspects of it that were more interesting to us as in terms of more knowledgeable fans i mean none of us i don't think would claim to be on quite the same level as johnny would or um as dominic would but you know we're still knowledgeable enough to know a lot of what's well most of what's already in this stuff those guys probably wouldn't enjoy it anywhere near as much as we do and i don't think I think Johnny described it as being whelmed, neither neither under or over. Just <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> it was whelming. It existed. <laughs> so I know I I feel like us and perhaps more of the the common fan base will will get something yeah, from this. I agree. Hmm. 
Anyway, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thank you as always to uh, Ridgetop and Xenomorphin for joining me for Anata to record for you guys to listen to. We'll have links to the interview I did with Felipe back in uh, January as well as my initial review back in January if you guys are interested. So mm-hmm. that'll be and there. And as always, you can find us on all the normal socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, YouTube, because I've actually been doing a bit, a bit more live streaming on there lately. And we'll, we will have our Let's Plays of the Alien campaign of AVP2 up soon because we've got the last two missions left to record as of recording of this so that should be up soon for everybody to enjoy and you can find us as either Alien versus Predator Galaxy versus as in VS or AVP Galaxy this has been Corporal Hicks Ridgetop Xenomorphing signing off